Special thank you to the Eisenberg family for sponsoring the shir this evening in honor of Yaakov's Bo Biyom. He turned bar mitzvah today, so mazel tov to Yaakov and the Eisenberg family and the entire community. We should all share in many simchas and mitzvahshem. A special thank you as well to Torah Anytime for sharing this year as they share many others with uh, people across the world. The subject this evening is exploring the Musser meditation. <clears throat> the name of Yisrael Salanter is a name that we're very familiar with. He's known as the father of the Musser movement. But besides promoting Musser and trying to institute a Musser Seder in the world of the yeshivas, there is a particular innovation, a methodology of, methodology of Musser that Yisrael didn't create himself, but he shared with the world. Musser will translate in a very superficial way as the focus on growth, trying to cultivate self-awareness, inspiring ourselves to reach higher levels of Avodos Hashem, higher levels of consciousness, higher levels of authenticity in living. That's the, the job of Musser. We've often spoken about the altar of Slobodka. He was one of the masterminds behind the Torah revolution that we have in America and Eretz Yisrael. All of the major yeshivas are really an outgrowth of the altar of Slobodka. And the Torah of Ram, who was the mashgiach in Slobodka, he was the spiritual leader, he recalls in his sefer that I remember the time when the Chafetz Chaim came to visit Kovna, and he went to the yeshiva in Slobodka. And the Chafetz Chaim saw many of the Talmidim who were once, when they were younger, in the yeshiva in Radin. And the Chafetz Chaim said, this is a quote from the Torah of Ram, exactly from the words of the Chafetz Chaim, After seeing the Talmidim, seeing the students, the product of Slobodka, Chafetz Chaim said, this is not within my ability. I have the capacity to make sure that a Talmud doesn't fall. He doesn't go lower and have a Yerida from his spiritual heights. But to make a real transformation in a person, to somehow change or uplift his midos, his character, zehu kocho shel that's something incredibly unique to this yeshiva of Slobodka, which is basically a praise to the altar of Slobodka, the mastermind and the mashkiach, or the Rosh Hashiva of Slobodka. What I'd like to explore is not the importance of learning Musr, that we've spoken about many times before, but I'd like to try to understand more this methodology, the innovation of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, which was really one of the key facets to the Hatzlacha they had in the Yeshiva in Slobodka. The Geras Agra, one of the famous letters written by the Vilna Gaon, as he's about to embark on his journey to Eretz Yisrael, and he writes a letter to his wife and to his mother. And one of the suggestions that he shares with his wife is to make sure every day to learn Musr. You have to keep yourself inspired, you have to stay spiritually connected. But then he says, not only should you learn Musr, you have to learn it in the right way, 
not the wrong way. The goal of learning is not just reading to be yotze, to feel good about yourself that I spent five minutes reading Musr. Because just reading something doesn't move you. It doesn't change you. You have many people who read different famous works of Musr, the Chobos Levavos, the Sharei Tshuva, the Mesilas Yisharim. The truth is that his time, the Ramchal did not yet write the Mesilas Yisharim. I'm sorry, to the contrary. The Gra came after the Ramchal. And that's the famous line of the Gra where he said, if I would have had the opportunity to walk all the way to Amsterdam to meet the Ramchal in person, I would have done so. He was so impressed by the Sefer. But he tells his wife that many people read the great Sifre Musr, but because they're just reading it somewhat superficially, they're not changed by the Musr. Va'od, and furthermore, he adds, Bishvili Tsiyasam Bain Habrios, when they go outside, when they close the book, and they interact with people, and they're in the, uh, the secular culture, or even the religious culture, if they don't fully understand and implement the ideas they're reading in the Svarim, then when they go outside, everything is lost. Nothing sticks with them. Now what the Vilna Gon doesn't do, is he doesn't really give his wife the explicit tools, what's the right way to learn Musr? But he does tell us clearly there's a wrong way and there's a right way. I'd like to explore what that right way is. We have in the beginning of Parshas Achremos the famous two psukim, that Hashem speaks to Moshe after the death of Aaron's two sons. And then the next pasig is, Warn Aaron HaKohen not to go in to the Kodesh Kedoshim, and he should not die. He should not die like his sons. Now there's a whole discussion here in Rashi and the Sifsei Chachamim as to why did Hashem have to speak to Moshe twice regarding these instructions? What were the two messages? So explains the Sifsei Chachamim based on Rashi. He says the first time HaKadosh Baruch Hu was communicating with Moshe that you have to make it clear there are very, very severe restrictions that we have to the holiest place on earth. And then there was a second communication where he said, go back and tell Aaron and specify, do not go in when it's not called for. And therefore you can avoid dying like your sons did. But if you don't listen, if you disobey, and you go in unauthorized, then you will die like they did. We know that Aaron HaKohen was an Oheb Shalom. He loved peace, he pursued peace. And we also have to assume that Aaron HaKohen was a pretty smart person as well. If you tell Aaron, actually say, you know what, let me just give it a try. 
Is there really a need to almost kick him when he's down and to say, and if you do it, you will die just like your sons did? He understood very well. He still remembers that his sons perished tragically when they entered unauthorized. Why do you have to make that equation for him? Why do you have to be so explicit? Why do you have to hurt his feelings? Right? We know that there's an Isser de Reis of Onas Devarim. The Mishnah Bambatziya says, just like you can't rip somebody off financially, you can't overcharge someone, that's Onas Mamon, there's also Onas Devarim, you can't hurt somebody's feelings. One of the examples in the Mishnah is if you have a Baal Tshuva, someone who came from a very secular background, or maybe he was born and bred religious, but then he went off the derech and he came back. So for you to tell that person, do you remember what you did? Do you remember how crazy you were during that period in your life? You can't say that, because maybe he doesn't want to talk about that. Maybe he doesn't want to remember that right now. Don't bring it up. That's Onas Devarim. If you think about Moshe speaking to Aaron, why in the world would HaKadosh Baruch Hu tell him, remind him of the death of his beloved children? What's the point of that? What are you gaining? What are you accomplishing? It sounds to me like Onas Tavarim. You're just hurting his feelings. <clears throat> when we learn anything, we speak about learning Musr, there are always two reasons why I'm trying to gain information. I could be trying to gain a particular insight. I could be educated in an area because I want to know more. I want to have more knowledge. A second reason why I might want to be learning about something is not to gain conceptual or intellectual knowledge, but to somehow make it more of a part of who I am have it ingrained within me in a more emotional way. Those are the two reasons why I would learn or dabble into any area of wisdom. Either I'm learning something new, or I'm reviewing something old, but I'm trying to feel it, I'm trying to internalize it in a more authentic way. The Shari Or was written by Rav Yitzchak Blazer. Rav Yitzchak Blazer was one of the great Talmidim of Rav Yisrael Salanter. And he speaks about these two components of learning Musr. He says the idea of learning Musr in general, we find from many Rishonim and Achronim, and there seems to be a real of a real obligation to set aside a few minutes every day and work on something in the realm of growth, in the realm of becoming more self-aware. And he's bothered by the question, Why has this study been so neglected throughout the years? Why is it that people don't choose to walk amongst the living? Meaning, why don't we spend time actually learning Musr when it's so incredibly fundamental? So he explains that Limud HaMusr is some level of refuah. It's a source of healing for a neshama that's ill. And in order to have any desire or motivation to heal yourself, then the first step is I have to have an awareness that I'm in need of refuah, that I'm really a chola, I'm really sick. Only then can you have the proper motivation to pursue a healing process. 
then who Hashem Then I could try harder to come closer to Hashem. But the first step is the recognition that I'm not as close as I think I am. I'm not as connected to real Torah to a Kaddish Baruch Hu in the way that I could be. How do you gain that clarity? How do you become aware of deficiencies? Well, it's a circular. You need Musr to get there. You have to discover that within yourself. You have to go through cheshbonos and calculations and real honest assessments of where am I holding, what am I doing in life, am I continuing to pursue the goals that I feel I should be striving for, or am I veering off the road? So one reason why people don't learn Musr is because they feel very simply, I don't need it. I'm okay, thank you. But then he says there's a second reason as well. The second reason is that one thing that's universal, that all human beings want more than anything else, is we want to be happy. We want to feel simcha sachayim. And Bahashkafa Rishona, at first glance, when you look at what exactly is Musr, I'm sitting here, I'm reading about what I should be doing, what I could be doing, I'm overanalyzing the mistakes that I've made, that's going to lead me to a sense of atzvus. That's depressing. And especially, says Rav Yitzchak Blazer, much of the focus of Musr seems to be reinforcing the fact that we're mortal, that we're not going to live forever. The Yom HaMisa, that one day I will leave this earth, that's not something I like thinking about. That's why selling life insurance is one of the hardest jobs in the world. People don't believe they're actually going to die. So he responds to the second argument, and he says, Emis lo kein hu. It's not really true. Ki refua hazos shalimud hamoser, because this refua, this healing process, it might be bitter in the beginning, but it gets so sweet. The more you do it with consistency and discipline, and we commit ourselves to limud hamusr, it becomes more and more addictive. I think the greatest example would be exercise. Right? You could have someone who's very much out of the zone, they haven't moved around in a long time, and the thought of going for a jog is torturous. But they force themselves to do so. And when they're outside huffing and puffing and they have no stamina, and their legs are hurting and they're out of breath, they're asking themselves the question, why am I here? This is so not fun. I would rather be paying a lot of money to avoid this pain right now. But if they continue the process, and they keep on pushing themselves, and every day they go for that same jog, eventually it becomes less painful, and then you cross the threshold. Then there is a point where I actually begin to look forward to getting on my running shoes and going for a jog. And the more I do it, it becomes part of my life, it becomes part of my routine. It's something that I not only do, but I need. Says Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer, Learning Musr, working on ourselves in a real, genuine, honest way, is the exact same thing. It might start off as mar, as bitter, because it's not that much fun to break into, but once you're in the zone, and you have some level of consistency, sofa musr, it becomes so incredibly sweet. 
And he explains the mindset of that masikus, of that sweetness. He says, V'napuchu ki yismach b'chelko v'yogil b'roda. Once I get into the zone of learning and focusing on reality and clarifying that I'm not going to be here forever and therefore I have to maximize every day and every moment, that brings an inner joy that you can never beat. The Yogil Berada, paraphrasing the, uh, the Pasuk in Tehillim, I'm able to rejoice within the trepidation. Asher nifkuchu enav ledas tovara, when I see life with clarity, when I'm living with a sense of vision and mission, there is ein simcha gadol mizu, there is no greater joy in the world. But people don't learn Musr because they feel either we don't need it, I don't have the time, and I'm not spiritually sick to require that medication, or I just don't want to because I think it's going to make me unhappy. The truth is, Rav Yosef Dov Salavechik, in his book, The Halachic Man, he presents in his assessment the theory of Velazhin. We know the two co-Rosh Yeshivas in Velazhin, Rechaim of Brisk and the Nitziv. So they were not part of the Muslim movement. And there was actually a famous story that took place where Rav Yitzchak Blazer came to Velazhin and he tried to convince them to institute learning Musr in the yeshiva, and they were not receptive. So why were they not receptive? Explains Rav Yosef Dov Salavechik. He says that a perspective directed towards the transcendent, toward that existence lying beyond the realm of concrete reality, was something that caused hesitation in what he calls the halachic man. The emotion of fear, the sense of lowliness, self-negation, constant self-appraisal, the consciousness of sin, all of these ideas constituted the primary features of the movement's spiritual profile in its early years. Right? These were ideas of the early Musr movement. Halachic man fears nothing, for he swims in the sea of the Talmud, that life-giving sea to all the living. If a person has sinned, then the halacha of repentance will come to his aid. One must not waste his time on spiritual self-appraisal, on probing introspections. There's a halacha. You do a chait. I look in the Rambam, Hilchosh Tshuva. How do I do Tshuva? You go through the steps of Tshuva and continue on with your life. Keep on learning. I will say parenthetically, this is a very difficult perspective to fully embrace. How in the world does one really do tshuva without, quote-unquote, wasting time on spiritual self-appraisal and probing introspections? That would definitely seem that it should be part of the tshuva process. But we'll see clearly, uh, they were concerned that there was too much of a focus on the self-appraisal that might lead one away from the meat and potatoes of Torah learning. Rav Salavechik writes, the Torah cannot be acquired in a state of depression. The emotions of fear and anxiety, if not rooted in halacha, will give rise to destructive consequences that will far outweigh, outweigh any gains. Rav Chaim of Brisk and 
the Nitziv, their reply to Rav Yitzchak Blazer was when he was trying to encourage them to institute Musser, was quite simply, thank you, but no thank you. If a person is sick, we tell them you should take castor oil. That's what you, uh, you try to drink when you're sick. However, if you're a healthy person and you try to drink that stuff, the refuah itself can make you sick. Only if you're spiritually sick, then you must go for the more powerful drugs, those that are designed for the very ill. For example, focusing on the remembrance of death, bringing that up in your mind and thinking about it. But we in Velazhin, thank God, we're healthy in spirit and body. We're whole in Torah. There's no need here for castor oil. If the scholars of Kelm and Kovna feel compelled to drink bitter drugs, let them drink to their heart's content, but let them not invite others to dine with them. This was, eloquently explained, the anti-Musser approach. He concludes here, and we'll find that the truth is these two worlds are not that far apart. Rosalevecher concludes, Halachic man stays clear of melancholy and dread, he also recoils from any exaggerated spirit of joy, any sense of celebration lacking a healthy, logical foundation, and any spiritual drunkenness. That was the opinion of Velazhin. So likely, in the, uh, in the description of the halachic man by Rabbi Salavechik, if you had to guess, would the halachic man be a fan of a Karlbach Friday night? The answer is probably not. But here we see that exactly what Rav Yitzchak Blazer was explaining as one of the main hurdles to wanting to learn Musr, this is actually the reason for Velazhin, according to Rav Salavechik. They felt getting too much into those ideas could be depressing, and it might be Yatzischaro Behevsedo, we might be losing more than we're gaining. Their claim was, we're healthy. Now whether or not Putting aside, rather, that discussion between Rav Yitzchak Belezer and Velazhin, it's clear over more than the last century, the Misora in the Torah world, in all of the major yeshivas that have flourished in Eretz Yisrael and America, the Musr movement is definitely a vital component. Learning Musr is something that we need, is something that we yearn for. It might be a little bitter in the beginning as we get used to it, but eventually, with consistency, it becomes sweet and almost addictive. But now I'd like to focus on the innovation of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. When it comes to meditation in the Torah world, there are many aspects of Kabbalistic meditation, and they're well beyond the scope of our discussion and beyond the scope of myself. But I'd like to focus on four different forms of meditation that we do find every single day of our lives. The first is tefillah. Tefillah is not translated as prayer. Prayer is a very dry, ritualistic word that does not at all capture the essence and the feeling and the heart of, of tefillah. Tefillah is a meditation where we communicate with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Hashem is Shomeya Tefillah. Hashem wants to listen and wants us to connect with Him through Tefillah. Meditation number two is what Reb Chaim Friedlander calls Menuchas HaNefesh. Menuchas HaNefesh is often translated as a state of serenity or tranquility. 
but really it means so much more. It means a total absorption in the present moment, being able to almost become intoxicated by this present that's right here and right now, from the task at hand, not having bilbul hadas, not having confusion of the mind, thinking of the past or having anxiety over the future, but being fully here, if that's in a conversation, in a relationship, if that's, well, I'm learning this particular blot of Gemara, I have the hargasha that nothing else exists in the world, I'm totally focused right here. Or if that's in just appreciating the Bria, right, the beautiful, magnificent world of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's Menuchas HaNefesh. And the truth is, last week when we spoke about Neged Tzeras, the illness that many of us struggle with, where we just don't feel anything, and there's a sense of apathy and numbness that somehow takes over our whole Olam Hargasha, we mentioned that one of the most powerful tools to break out of the Neged Saras is Menucha Sanefesh, is focusing, allowing ourselves to become absorbed in the beauty of the present. A third form of meditation is one of discovery. And this we find often in the Musr literature, where we're probing the subconscious. We're asking ourselves questions, trying to determine what's really motivating me. What's pushing me in this direction versus that direction? Right? The phrase we have in American culture is, you have to be true to yourself. But I think a much loftier goal than being true to yourself is being true with yourself. Really asking oneself, where am I coming from? Why am I pursuing this? Right? Pushing the buttons, trying to get real answers. That's a meditation of discovery. We're not going to delve into that now. Hashem, in, a, in a future conversation, we could look more deeply into that. But the fourth and final meditation that we do find really throughout our lives is the transformative meditation which uh, is called in the, the worlds of Musr, Musr Bihispailus, which means learning Musr with emotion, internalizing the conceptual, taking something that I know intellectually and trying to ingrain it in who I am and how I feel and how I view myself and the world around me. And that's Musr Bihispailus, learning in an emotional way. Where did this come from? The truth is it goes back thousands of years, but at least in our contemporary history, going back just a few hundred years, we find ourselves in 1786. 1786 was when Rav Yosef Zundel Misalant was born, and he lived his life as a tzaddik nister. He was a hidden tzaddik. He took no official position. He was not titled the Rav or Mashkiach or anything else. But he was a goyen atzum, he was a brilliant man who really had shas and poskim on his fingertips. The way he would learn every sugya, every discussion was, start from the very beginning and go through the Gemara and the Rishonim and the Halacha Lamaisa, and then try as hard as to picture the case coming in front of him. How would I react? How would I paskin? If there's a machlokus between the Rashba and the Ritva, how does that manifest itself in this particular shaila? That was one of the, uh, the secrets to his greatness in Torah. 
He studied in the yeshiva in Velazhin, and he was one of the great disciples of Rav Chaim Velazhin. So in a sense, he was really a second Talmud, a second generation Talmud of the Vilna Gon. He would visit his Rebbe Rav Chaim Velazhin often, and he would gain from his approach in Musar and Machshava, both in Nigla and Nister, both in the revealed parts of Torah and also the Kabbalistic areas as well. When his great Rebbe Rav Chaim Velazhin passed away, he went to Rav Akiva Eger, and he would stay by him and learn from his great ways and observe his conduct. Rev. Yosef Zundel of Salant, when he passed away, they found within his papers that there were particular letters that he wrote to himself. And all there were on those pages were psukim, verses from Tanakh speaking about bitachon, about Amuna. And his mahalach was, his methodology was that he would find psukim that really spoke to his heart. He would write them down and he would say them to himself. He would sing them to himself over and over again. He writes in the letter to his son. His son was going on a trip. This is after he migrated to Eretz Yisrael and uh, his son was living there with him. But then he traveled to Vilna to visit his sister. His sister was not well at the time. So Yosef Zimbel writes to his son who's going on this long journey. He says, I've sent to you a, a care package to help you along the way, but you should know the main thing is to have bitachon. You might not have enough money to get there and back, but there are many ways Hashem will be able to give you what you need. I daven for you that everything should be smooth, but the main thing is always review to yourself, have these psukim on the tip of your tongue and say them over and over again. For example, say it, live it, breathe it, feel it, and that will infuse you with the munan and bitachon you need to get through this journey. Yisrael Salanta, when he was a younger man, he noticed the Rav Yosef Zundel. And he noticed that there was something different, something almost strange and mysterious about this, uh, this hidden tzaddik. So he would observe him carefully, and he would follow him. He noticed that he left the base medrash, and he would walk outside. He would go on long walks, and he would be pacing in the field. He would go into the forest. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanter tells the story that one day he was following, trying to stay hidden, but he was following behind Rabbi Yosef Zundel, and he wanted to see where was he going? What was he doing? So he saw that Rabbi Yosef Zundel was in a clearing in the forest, and he started saying psukim. He started singing these psukim of Munan Bitachan out loud, in a voice that would just inspire and uplift a young Yisrael Salanter. He moved around a little bit and Rav Zundel turned around. He saw that Yisrael was watching him and he told him, and it sounds like these words ended up changing his life. He said, Yisrael, Lamud Musr Learn Musr and you'll have real Yerushimayim. If you want greatness, if you want real connection, if you want authentic Torah, learn Musr. That was the Eitzah that Rav Zundel gave 
to Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter himself wanted very much to follow and emulate his great Rebbe by also staying hidden. Right? Tzadik Nister, learning but never revealing how much he would know. And only later he realized that he had a, an unbelievable talent to be able to express himself and, and inspire others, and therefore he made the choice that for his own life he had to be more of a public figure. But we see from Yosef Zundel Misalant, it's not just reading a book of Musr, but it's yelling the words, it's singing the words, it's living the words, it's contemplating on the words. And the words we say make the greatest difference in the world. The words we say create the reality in which we live. The Chobos Levavos tells us that on one hand, the Lashon is the Kulmis Halev. The tongue is the quill of the heart. I'm able to express what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. That's the Koach Edibor. However, it's also, says the Chafetz says the uh, Rebbeinu B'chaya, that Mipnei Shemachshavos HaNefesh Holeches Achra Maimer, it's not just that my words are an expression of my neshama, but the words themselves create the machshava, they create what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling. And therefore, if we use our words that are so incredibly powerful, that could be one of the greatest tools to take something we know intellectually, but we're not really living with it and by it. And through our words, we could instill that message into who we are. Words express reality, but even more, words create reality. And you see this all the time, right? When someone just gets engaged. So I, I do tell Hassanim, we're about to get engaged, do me a favor. Once you pop the question, don't take out your cell phones 10 seconds later and call your parents and everybody else you know in the world. Have a moment with you and the Kala and appreciate just being there together. And then after some time, take out the cell phones and call everybody in the world. But during that conversation, what does the Kala do? Right? She'll call a good friend of hers from seminary, or her mother or her sister. Shira, Shira, guess what? I got engaged! I got engaged! As she's saying the words, she's getting more excited. Now, obviously, she's excited to share that information with her good friend Shira, but it's deeper than that. As I'm saying it, it's more real, and therefore that brings up more excitement because I'm feeling it more. We find it in the opposite direction as well. Lo Elenu, when somebody passes away and you have the family members making that dreadful phone call, calling up the, the grandson and letting him know that Zadie passed away, you could be holding yourself together. You could have the composure. But as soon as you say the words, Zadie passed away, you break down because words make life real. That's the methodology of learning Musr. It's not skimming, it's not scanning, it's not reading, but it's saying the words in a heartfelt way. I remember reading Rav Yaakov Galinsky spoke about the, uh, the first time he arrived in Europe. He came from America to Europe to learn in the yeshiva. Actually, I'm not sure if he came from America. I'm not sure where he came from. He went to a particular yeshiva in America, in Europe. And
and he was trying to find his way. He walks into a random base medrash, and it's dark inside, doesn't see anybody, but he hears a voice. He hears a voice singing, and he recognizes the words, because the words come from a Gemara in Erevin. Grab and eat, grab and drink. The Alma because the world that we're leaving is like a banquet, it's like a wedding. Basically, right now. This is a beautiful Gemara that Shmuel said to Rabbi Yehuda. Shinina, sharp one. Eat and drink now, because the party's almost over. So we heard someone singing these words over and over again. And he went up to the person. And he introduced himself, and he said that his name was Yaakov Yisrael. It turns out that was Rav Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky, the stipler gone. The stipler gone was learning Musr Behispailus. It doesn't even have to be from a Musr Sefer. It could be from a Gemara and Erevin and Daf Nun Dalid. But something that speaks to me, sing it, live it. Now the science of the emotion, if you look into... How exactly does one approach this meditation of Musr? So Yitzchak Blazer explains that the limud bihispailus, this emotional learning, was really, again, not the creation of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. He was inspired from Rav Zundel Misalant, but it was something that he shared with the world. The need for that explains of Yitzchak Blazer is Knowledge itself will not change you. We know many things are correct and they're the right thing to do, but I can't push myself to do them. I know many things are unhealthy for me and they're only to my detriment, and I continue to do them. So knowledge itself will not change behavior. But if I'm able to engage myself on a deeper level to tap into the subconscious, not the idea of discovering, that's a different meditation, but trying to instill and to ingrain and to inculcate within myself these ideas, that will change you. And he quotes Rabbi Yisrael Salanter explaining what exactly is this method. The kol atzev literally means a, a somber voice. Bisvasim, bisvasayim dolkim, with lips aflame. I'm not saying it softly, I'm saying it loudly. Laharchiv esarayon bitsiyure chushi, and to picture what I'm reading. And this is a major theme we find in the Bali Musar. It's not just saying the words and singing the words, but it's picturing myself applying this situation to real life. Picturing myself living the words that I'm singing. If you have these factors together, this is Musr Bihispailos, this is Musr meditation. I remember in Yeshiva, I heard, this is already part of the traditions that have been passed down, the special Musr melody that came from Rav David Leibowitz. He was the father of my Rosh Hashiva. And part of the, the special thing about learning Musr Bihispailus is that it's, it's personal. You take your own melody. You can make it up yourself. Or you can have any melody you've heard of that really speaks to you. And you utilize it. 
I was very close with someone who was a, uh, he was a big name in the world of hypnosis, and he specialized in self-hypnosis. Dr. Hart, Dr. Richard Hart, Oliver Shalom. And I remember we had a few conversations together where he was sharing with me some of the, the chachma of his field and some of his own chidushim, his own discoveries. And I told him how incredibly similar his definition of self-hypnosis self was to Musr Bihispailus. So I explained to him the, the basic process of Musr Bihispailus and he was blown away. I can't believe he said this was part of our Jewish tradition going back hundreds of years. He said the only thing that we have that they don't really have in the self-hypnosis world is the idea of shira, of bringing in the melody. And he was so intrigued by that. He said, what song do you use? And I tried to explain it could be any melody, anything that moves you. But this is almost our form of self-hypnosis. Explains Rav Yitzchak Blazer, Kaisher Nachnu Roim Bekoach Klishir Vekol Zimra. We see the power of music. We see what that does to our moods. That could uplift us. That could make us happy. That could make us enthusiastic. That could also bring us into a somber, a somber state if it's a depressing song. Music has that power. This form of meditation has the exact same power. <clears throat> he says, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter himself, throughout all of his years, learned Musr Bihispailus consistently. And he writes, even as he was older, every single day, he would say whatever was on his mind, if it was a paragraph from the Ramchal, if it was a Pasuk in Tanakh, he would sing it, Kama v'kama pa'amim. V'kol ha kolo. Anyone who heard the voice of Yisrael Salanter as he was singing Musr, Nomos levavo vayhi lemayim. His heart would melt and turn into water. He concludes that one should not feel any level of despair if you try this for a couple of days or even a couple of weeks and you don't really see improvement. I don't see that it's changing me. I'm the same person I was before. The whole thing feels very awkward. I was never into any kind of meditation and sitting here by myself trying to, to sing the words of the Shari Tshuva, it just seems very strange. Says Rav Yitzchak Blazer, that's all normal. Any form of meditation is a transition. It's a transition from a mode of thinking. Everything else we're doing in life, we're interacting with people, things are very concrete, they're very tangible. The whole idea of a meditation is stop what you're doing. Stop the hair goal, stop the routine, stop the habit. It's okay to pause and take something that you believe in and make it part of you. He says, over time, you see the Rishima, you see the impact that it makes, and eventually, this will change you. When the Chafetz Chaim came to Slobodka, and he said, what is the secret of the altar of Slobodka? The altar of Slobodka, who was one of the great Talmidim of the altar of Kelm and Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, a lot of it has to do 
with the type of Musr they were learning, it wasn't just intellectual, it was transformative. The altar of Slobodka himself was really devoted to the yeshiva for 50 years. Yomam Valayla, he lived in the yeshiva and his main focus was the students, the Talmidim. Rav Adov Katz in his Tenuas Immersa describes the personality of the altar of Slobodka. He says, Yacharim Omech Machshava, we know he was incredibly deep and his vast Bekiyas, his wide range of knowledge in all areas of, of Agada and Halacha was astounding. But he was a tremendous Baal Hergish. He was one who could really feel. Oftentimes when he was giving a shmuz to the yeshiva, he was sharing chazal and insights. You could see the emotion on his face. You would see it the most on Friday night when traditionally the altar would speak about the Kedusha of Shabbos and the Oneg of living a life of spirituality. You would see it radiating out of his eyes. He tried to compose himself. He tried to not allow the emotion to take over. But sometimes he couldn't hold himself back. He was so incredibly lost within the Chazal. He was so moved by the depth. At the same time, and this is somewhat of a contradiction within the altar of Slabatka, he would have no patience for people who got inspired or emotional based on something he felt was superficial. Right? You hear an amazing uh, speech. If the reason why you're, you're feeling moved is because of the tone of the speaker or because of, of something else that's more chitzonious, but not from the toche, not from the content, he would criticize you. He had that ability to be very real and open with his Talmudim, but they were able to take it because they knew that he loved them so, so infinitely. The altar of Slobodka himself was emotional, but the emotion that he tapped into was emotion that was based on tochen. It was based on content. Even though we view Rabbi Yisrael Salanter in his innovation of Musar Be'ez as a breakthrough, as a meditation that's needed to become more emotionally attached to these concepts, the altar would always teach it has to be emotion coming from tochen, coming from real content. Otherwise, you could just be swept away by anything. You could start to cry because they're going to tell you they're coming out with a sequel to Star Wars, and you get emotional. That kind of emotion is not praiseworthy. It's a personality. Some people are more emotional. Some people are less emotional. But based on this caveat of the altar of Slobodka, we see that really the Musr movement, even in its extreme form of a Musr meditation, was not that far away conceptually from the, the stance of Velazhin. Rav Yosef Dov Soloveitchik said that the halachic man, right, the, the, the opinion of the Velazhinian was that we recoil from any exaggerated spirit of joy, any sense of celebration, lacking a healthy logical foundation, any spiritual drunkenness. That was their main concern with Musr. But when it's done right, like the Vilna Gon says, learning Musr is not just an automatic thing. 
there's a science, there's an art, how to do it in a real way that will really be effective, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu tell Moshe to again reiterate to Aaron, don't go inside when it's unauthorized because then you will die just like your children. And it's interesting, if you look at the two psukim, the first pasuk is V'yadaber Hashem, which is usually a Loshen Kasha, it's more of a, of a stern way of communicating. And the second pasuk is V'yomer. And V'yomer has more of the connotation of a love and a chavivus. V'yomer Hashem tell Aro not to come in so he doesn't die like his children. Why is that not Onas Devarim? So obviously Aaron would never have stepped into the Kodesh Kedoshim without the explicit permission directly from Hashem. But by painting the picture for him, even though he would automatically go there in his own head, but by saying the words and allowing him to hear those words, it made the halacha more vivid. It made the Isser of going into the base of Migdash unauthorized more of a reality to be able to connect with it emotionally. That's the greatest chesed HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do for a person. That was the chesed that Hashem was telling Moshe to relate to Aaron. Help him fully grasp it. Because the point of Musr, the point of working on ourselves, the point of actualizing our potential, the goal of, of, of growth in all areas of life is not a means to an end. If it was only a means to an end, you wouldn't have to hurt Aaron's feelings by mentioning his children. He's not going to go in. The goal of Musr, the goal of Yira, the goal of any form of meditation is to elevate us and transform us. Not just to do a mitzvah or to avoid doing an Avera. To the contrary, in the Musr worldview, the mitzvahs themselves are really there as a means of elevating the human being. The Torah was given only Litzaref Behem as a brios to uplift us, to cultivate the neshama. It was the greatest chesed to Aaron to allow him to feel the tzivui Hashem, the command from Hashem, in a more real way. I want to end by sharing with you a piece in the Torah of Ram, where Rav Ram Gazinsky sounds like he was speaking at the yard site of the altar of Slabotka. And this took place in 1940. Obviously, the world was in chaos at the time. He himself eventually, we know, perished in the Kovna ghetto. But in this particular piece, he was sharing with the yeshiva one of the, the major impacts of the altar of Slabotka, the culture that he infused within the yeshiva, that the Chafetz Chaim was commenting and complimenting him on, that ultimately goes back to this innovation of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Says the Torah of Ram, we can never underestimate the power of machshava. What we think about and the level in which we think, the depth that we're able to think, that defines who we are. That transforms us as human beings. Machshava shel Torah. Gambli Musr, even if you never learned Musr, even if you were in the, the opinion of the Velazhin Yeshiva at that time. But the Machshava itself, the depth of Torah. Rav Kochel Lahashpia Adam Lorak Beshlila Lagam It transforms us. 
Machshava Tadiris Osa Esa Adam Dovuk Bala Ish Ruchani. When I'm able to have a consistency in my thought, and my world is one of Ruchnias, and my spare time, obviously, I have to be a productive member of society. And when I'm at work and I'm dealing with people and I'm doing my computer programming, I'm doing the best I possibly can and being a mensch and being Makadeshem Shemayim. But in my free time, what's occupying the space in my mind? What's going through my head? Those thoughts define us. And the more dovuk we are, the more attached we are to machshavos of Torah and machshavos of Musr, that makes us more into a ish ruchani, that transforms us more into spiritual people. He says the, the Yiddish expression is ligging in learning, when we're living in the learning itself where it's not just the intellectual pursuit, it's not the 20 minutes a day that we set aside, which is the, the, the best mitzvah in the world to be learning, but we're able to have some level of hispilus, some level of emotional connect, connection to what we're learning, then that makes me more of an ish ruchani, more of a spiritual person. He says this was one of the, the main elements in the yeshiva that was in, infused by the approach of the altar of Slobodka. So the Musr meditation is one of many potential meditations we do find within a Torah lifestyle. It's something that is uh, somewhat new for many of us, and it may be awkward in the beginning, but it's definitely worth trying it, to experiment with it, to explore, to write down lines that move us. It doesn't have to be a line from the Tanakh. It could be a line that I thought of myself. It could be a quote that I saw from any source in the world. To say it over and over again, to picture myself, the Koach Hatzir, living and implementing that idea, singing it with words and with a melody that inspires me, that can transform us. We should be Zoha, not just to learn, but to learn Behispilus and to develop that emotional connection with the Torah and a Kaddish Baruch Hu.